Good morning to the Statistic House podcast. I'm very fortunate this morning to again have my friend Brandon Rose on this April 4th, beautiful day in Bowling Green, Kentucky, but we are all kind of stuck in this global pandemic. So Brandon and I talked this week and thought, hey, what the heck? Even though sports aren't live right now, baseball's not started, all college sports have been shut down, fantasy baseball, fantasy football is cruising right along. So Brandon, welcome this morning. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I hope you and your family are well. Doing good, doing good. Good. About a week and a half locked down here in Bowling Green. How about you? Yeah, same thing. Uh, we're doing really, we're doing well. We have, except for house arrest, what I call it, uh, we're all doing well. Uh, and it's amazing the things you can come up with to pass time. It's funny. Uh, we we were going to talk again in March, but as the weather was getting good, it was harder and harder to find a time. But once the pandemic hit, we said, let's get on here and do it. And yeah. you're always welcome. I mean, you're all, not only always welcome, you're always willing to do this. And what we thought um, with fantasy football in full swing, the continental football uh, season for 1970 is in its 11th season, the 2004 Canadian American Football League's in its 25th season. We just kicked off the Rosenblatt season. The WWBA is in its 45th season. So fantasy sports are rolling. So we thought the subject for today might be, hey, how do you build a winning football team? How do you build a winning baseball team you've been doing this a long time and we thought hey that'd be a great subject for today and i could use I a think, heck of a lot of help <laughs> i think so too uh in another league that you were part of for a short time uh the odyssey football league which was really the first action pc football league i formed is currently playing its 29th season um, oh that's right i forgot about that and uh, just to let the listeners know uh, the three retro football leagues that I operate, we play two seasons a calendar year. So we're slowly but surely catching up to real time. I mean, the Can-Am in the 2004 season, that started in 1980. And we're only, we're only, fift- we're only 15 seasons behind real time. And I think I've figured out how long it would take. It would take another 20, maybe 20 years to catch up to the actual year. I don't think we ever will. Some of us might not live that long. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. But I can speak to building, I'll speak to building a, what I think building a, a, a competitive or successful or championship football team, whichever term you want to use. My experience has mainly been retro, which is I've always told people it's a lot easier because you know the player's whole career. I've been in contemporary football leagues. Um, you're then you, – those those leagues, you're really at the mercy of the injury bug, the, the suspension bug. Um, you know, all kinds of different things can, can derail your building a team in the, in the, when, you're, when you're playing the real-time or contemporary seasons. Retro – a lot of experience um, over the years. Um, I've had three or four guys who have been in those leagues, in particular Paul Brown uh, and Jeff Stainfield, uh, and then uh, to, to a lesser degree, but they've done it very successfully. Uh, Dan Oaks, 
and uh, Bill Schneider, and they've their method, which Jeff Stainfield actually did the very first time, and then other guys. I think Paul Brown was next. They kind of copied it. You know how it is. This copycat sports is a copycat. Someone's successful at something. Sooner or later, other guys are going to say, "Hey, I'm going to give it a try." His system or his process for for building or rebuilding his team has always been he tears it down to the studs, nothing left. He tries to turn anything of value that he has at that time into as many first, second, or third round picks as he can. And if the players that he has left aren't worth their, that isn't their value, he'll take whatever draft picks he can get beyond the third round. From that point, he Jeff made has, has made up his mind. The process really takes three drafts. So he accumulates all those picks with his very first volley of trading at the end of that season. He participates in that next rookie draft. And if the rookie draft doesn't have the depth that he thinks he needs to really add quality players to his team in the rebuilding process, He'll then take those draft picks because you know how it is. Guys get in the draft. They that's at at the time that the draft starts. That's when your first and any of your draft picks are really overvalued because you've got a whole group of guys that are out there that want to acquire picks for different reasons. They need a to fill a position. That's primarily the reason. Or there's a particular player in that draft that they really want to acquire and they don't, they might not have a a draft pick. They think that's going to get them that guy. Jeff uses that then to take, maybe say he trades, say he dumps his team that has, has reached the end of the line uh, being decent or starting to slip and be a losing or a 500 team. Say he acquires in a 10 round draft, he's got 18 picks. He might then, if that draft isn't that deep, he'll take those 18 picks and he might turn them into 24 in the next draft. Cause obviously being retro, you can see what drafts have a lot of depth or what drafts are shallow. And that's how he does it. As that three season or three draft process plays itself out with Jeff. Can tries I ask a question? Do, can I ask a yes. question on that? So yes. in, so let's take that he's acquired a lot of draft picks for a particular year. He knows yes. pretty well whether that's going to be deep or not. If it's not right. in the middle right. of that process, will he start unloading his picks or is he? He'll already- try to turn. Yes. Yes. He'll, he'll, and, and normally what he does, he'll turn those picks into more picks in one of the upcoming drafts that has some decent depth to it. Yeah, that's that's the big decision, I guess. If you, it's, I guess, if especially if maybe you only have three or four good rounds in a particular draft, but the right. next one's and real strong. Very seldom do you have more than two that were you're drafting guys in the beyond the second round that are impact guys. Usually, there have been a few over the course of time where the third round was very, very good, but usually the first and second round have the better players and some are shallow enough that they start to fall off at the latter part of the first round by about the 16th, 17th, 18th picks in the first round. You're, you're grabbing guys that maybe only have two or three impact seasons versus maybe earlier in that draft you were getting, you know, and you've also got drafts where, 
you know, say the 2004 draft, which we just had, you know, you had Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, to have three quarterbacks in one draft like that, that's very unusual. Um, yeah, in 2005, we got Aaron Rodgers this year. Aaron Rodgers, yes. Um, so Jeff does that, and he, he's very patient um, because he knows it's he knows he's going to be taking it in the shorts for about three seasons. But what happens is, and, and the way he builds the team, he doesn't want to get a quarterback running backs or wide receivers initially, unless it's a guy like an Aaron Rodgers who, or, or say Phillip rivers, who's still playing and Rodgers is still playing and Roethlisberger. If you've got a guy that's going to go that long, that's fine. But like in the seventies and eighties, which you, you're in, uh, or eighties, you were, those guys didn't last that long. So he's not going to, he's not going to draft in that first dr- draft that he, in his rebuilding process, he's probably not going to draft a quarterback or any skill guys. Cause he doesn't want to have them waste a couple of their or three of their seasons being on a very poor team. That's, that's rebuilding. Even so if he, he could trade them. He has done that. Yeah. That, that, that's a good point. He's done that, but. What he really tries to do is he tries to use the old system that I've heard general managers use at the pro level, build your, the, get the, your best players need to be the guys closest to the ball. In other words, build a dynamite offensive line, have a bull, have a bulldozer offensive line, uh, 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 granite wall, stealing the old Lombardi line from when he was at Fordham. Uh, and the same thing on the defensive line. And then, and then from there, by the second draft or third draft in the rebuilding process, if there's a quarterback, grab, grab your quarterback if he's got a long career, because now usually by the second or third draft, you're starting to put some semblance of a decent ball club together. And you've got an O-line to protect him. You don't have when you've got a dynamite offensive line, you don't know you don't have to have the Emmett Smiths, the Thurman Thomases, the Gale Sayers, the Jim Browns, and those kind of guys. You can have you can get the guy who carries the ball 175 to 200 sometimes and has a 4.2 average, but your O line might be all eights, nines, and tens on the action PC rating scale which they're going to make that guy even better than what is that than probably the team he was playing for in real life. And then your very last guys, the very last guys that Jeff gets, he tries to build his defense. He makes linebackers the last priority on the defensive side of the ball. And he makes his skill position guys, the running backs and wide receivers and tight ends. The last thing that he drafts offensively. Uh, once again, on the offensive side with the QB and the skill guys, he doesn't want to draft a guy who maybe has six really good seasons, seven really good seasons. But for the first two or three, the guy's going to be on a terrible team and wasted. You could plug in anybody at that point, save the draft picks say, and draft a guy who might, you know, might have a nine, 10, 12 year career on, on the offensive line or on defense that can help you. And that's that's pretty much the process that I feel has worked the most for the guys who have, you know, rebuilt 
they've had a good ball club, saw it getting older in retro, and decided that the old Band-Aid routine wasn't holding up anymore. And that's that that routine I actually did for many years in both the Odyssey in all the leagues, the Odyssey, the Continental, which hasn't run that long, or the Can-Am, where I had a really good, I built a really good team, had a lot of success with it, and wasn't willing to dump the whole thing, what was left, what value was left of it, and do the, the, the complete teardown and rebuild. I'd do the old Band-Aid routine. If I, I'd, I'd now trade picks, two se- draft picks two seasons in the future to get a decent offensive center because usually with those picks you're trading to get a guy who's at the latter part of their career that another coach is looking to get draft picks for. So, you know, it's a circle that goes around and around. We all, we all build our teams a different way uh, because if we all did it the same way, there would be no trading and it would be pretty boring. And uh, it's funny, no matter what leagues you're in, and no matter what the ground rules are for trading and drafting and all that, the really, really good team builders, no matter what the rules are, they always find a way to build a really good team. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is there, has there been any champions that surprised you on how they put that season together to win where out of nowhere they won the, won the, the whole thing? Not really, no. Um, because what happens is you can – you know, a lot of times your success is also dictated, just like in real life, by the strength or weakness of the division you're in or the conference you're in. You know, let's be realistic. The Patriots, and they've got a great record. I'm not going to knock the Patriots. Uh, they're not my ball club, but they're not. They're, they, they benefited for how many years being in the AFC East with a Miami Dolphin team that's still looking to get a quarterback to replace Dan Marino 20 years later. The Buffalo Bills have been a grease fire for how many years? The New York Jets have been a grease fire, a dumpster fire for how many years? Um, the, my point being, same thing holds true with with our hobby because we, you're eventually going to have to play the better teams when you get in the playoffs, and you might win one playoff round. Teams have gotten to the to the championship in all three leagues that have surprised me. Um, but no one, to be honest with you, I can't think off the top of my head in any of the three leagues that I was surprised at a team who won it. But, you know, one of the things I asked you when I first joined, I said, can you put a team together without trading? He said, no, no. you got to, you got to trade. But in, in Jeff's, in the way Jeff did it though, he was really not trying to bandaid teams together no. It was strategically trading to get those draft picks, which, like right. you said, first right. round, second round, third round are the right. gold picks, right? Yes, and I'm glad you asked me that question because another thing, what he does at the very end, and he's, he just did it in the Continental Football League, he rebuilt, he rebuilt that Oakland team, uh, and it's right now one of the top two or three teams in the Continental. He had a really good team for like two seasons, uh, 67, 68, and 69. Really, really good teams. The one thing he didn't have was an over-the-top quarterback. 
he went with guys based on their numbers. Their QB rating might have been a really good QB rating for that era. That might have been in the high 70s or low 80s. Um, but you get to the playoffs and you're facing Lenny Dawson, Bart Starr, Sonny Jurgensen, Fran Targens. I mean, you're not going to, your chances of when you play the really good teams, you, that's, that's a point in time that you need to have one or two or maybe even three things that your opponents don't have that separate you. And he didn't, he didn't have it at quarterback. What he had. So what, what did he do? And this is my point on this about team building. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice to get that last piece or two. So he went out and he traded for the, before the 1970 season for Sonny Jurgensen, who really only has, this is his last full-time season uh, where he's one of the top quarterbacks because Kilmer ends up eating, uh, you know, biting into his playing time with the Redskins. So Jeff went out, he, he looked at it. He said, you know, if I'd had a quarterback, I might've won a championship in the last two or three seasons. I need to, and cause this might be his best team in the last four seasons. They went and got Sonny Jurgensen. So, that's when he's willing to really make those kind of trades is when he sees that he needs to get something that really puts him over the top or gives him an opportunity to, to win a championship. Does he take advantage or do you take advantage of the waiver wire very much? Like I'm no. a, I, I'm on that thing all the time. I've actually written, yeah. I'm on I've written programs to try to find just some yeah. little gold nugget out there that, I guess because my team suck, I have no choice, but it doesn't sound well, like that's you, a key strategy going forward. No. And, well, I'll tell you, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, if you want to, if you want to, if you want a championship because of somebody or play a couple players, you picked off the waiver wire. We'd have to relook at the waiver wire. I know it. I was thinking about that. Stainfield still pisses me off because he, he won't trade me Kyle Schwarber. So I want to say that to him in, in front of all my 20 listeners. He called, he, we, he and I talk every day and I'll tell you what, he's brought that up several times. Well, the problem you guys have is you're both Cubs fans. Yeah. He could have had and... Marcus Simeon though. Who wouldn't want him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard, I heard that. I've heard that several times from him too. Yeah. I, well, I'll... I don't want Schwarber anymore, Stainfield. So heck with you. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what he, he, um, he really, and I'll tell you what, he's been so successful with the way he's built his teams over the years, uh, he's, he's got me doing in the Odyssey with the Edmonton team. And he's got me doing it in the, in the Can-Am with my Sarnia team, because I did the old band. I, I won championships over the years with both those teams. And I just didn't want to have the one in 15, the zero and 16, the two and 14 seasons. But he finally made a believer out of me. And uh, about two years ago when the Sarnia team was really going South bad and I'm patching it together to win nine games. He goes, look, he goes, you're not winning 11, 12, 13 games anymore with it. You're winning nine and eight. And he goes next, you're going to be winning six and have no draft picks and have all these short time guys that you're going to, you're going to have no picks to replace them with. So I've done it. I'm doing it right now with both Edmonton in the Odyssey in 1988 and Sarnia. And I, I, I've had this, I'm coming up on my third draft with Sarnia and I'm seeing 
how the process works. And, and you can, you just got to accept that you're going to have some pretty bad seasons, but as he always said, yeah, I'd be getting, I'd win one or two games, but I had all those draft picks and I knew the next rookie draft, I was going to be able to do a bunch of trading with those picks and get more picks, or I was going to be drafting some really good players and I'm going to be good in two seasons. You know, it's, it's just, it just a, depends what you want to do. It's painful. It really to, it's painful to play that game when you suck, man. It's that's rough. It, it does get old. Oh, it gosh. does get old when man. you fall behind seven, nothing or 10, nothing early. And you know, I'm not going to win. You know, it's, it's um. now to be honest with you, that Sarnia team this season, I didn't know I've got re- basically three decent players on that team with, a bunch of guys that in the next season or two are going to be all dynamite. Plus I've got more draft picks in the next two rookie drafts than I know what to do with. And I've won three games with that team. And I would never, I, you know, over the years we've had guys that have accused other, I think he's tanking. I don't think anybody goes in tanking. I mean, I don't want the Sarnia team to win and I've won three games and I beat a team that's their only loss. They're one of the better teams in the league. Just because I got up, I'm getting performances out of got Leftwich and Chris Chambers are lights out in a running back, Julius Jones. And, you know, to build on Leftwich isn't my QB for the future. I got Phillip Rivers, but, you know, you just never know. And what makes it fun is what I said before, we all, we all go at it a different way. And there's guys that are traders and there's guys that are aren't and there's guys that love to draft. And that's all they want to do is draft use their 10 draft picks and you know whatever their team ends up it ends up and it's it's just at the end of the day it's just all fun and did you ever think with a coronavirus pandemic which we never thought anything like that would ever happen in the modern world at least to the united states thank the lord we have this hobby i know it's uh this has been it, it's been a nice stress relief to at least have all of the leagues that i'm in going and playing and I've really yeah. enjoyed it, and hopefully, uh, hopefully things get back to normal here soon. Um, it, it's going to be interesting if the NFL will be able to start on time. There's a number of scenarios being tossed around with Major League Baseball, but I, I, yeah. do, I do miss baseball quite a bit right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah. If uh, if this carries on and the football seasons college and pro are impacted by this thing i don't know what our country will do i mean it because it is amazing how football makes our country go uh in the fall and and winter uh baseball for guys like us um it's it's really tough um especially when there's always these reminders on social media that you know today would be the home opener for the Atlanta Braves, you know, you're seeing that kind of stuff. And, um, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what guys who are sports guys, but aren't involved in this hobby because I'm sure you have, I mean, I've spent more time than I ever thought researching being retro makes it even better because you can get on pro football reference and research all the players in the next three rookie drafts and the three leagues I'm in, and you can do it in two. And, uh, well, that's, you know, that's, I know more about some of these guys than I ever thought I would. Well, that's that's one of the things I was going to ask you about, because both of us are a member of uh, Sabre Baseball Research, but you're also yeah. a member of the uh, the 
and Pro I didn't Football know Researchers yeah, Association. Professional football. Yeah. I, I didn't know that existed. So maybe tell some of the listeners about that because that might be a, a, another great avenue to to kind of hone up on the hobby while we have a little bit of downtime. Yeah, um, you can go to the website, Pro Professional Football Researchers Association. Um, I think it's $29. I can't remember what the fee is every year. It's 29 bucks a year or whatever. And you get a newsletter called the coffin corner. Um, it's geared all, all toward wet retro stuff. Um, and if you become a member, uh, the nice thing, it's very similar to Sabres website where it's got all this retro stuff on there. Like you can, I think they have all the coffin corner newsletters uh, going back. It's been around for 40 years, Pro Football, Professional Football Researchers Association. They have an annual get together like Sabre does. But they have things that you can interact with. They've got, um, they have, and it's something I just shared with some guys in one of the football leagues, was, um, was um, they have a, the Hall of Very Good. And uh, it's guys that they feel that we actually, the readers or the members get to vote on these guys. They put out, say, a list of 20 guys. You vote on them. And I think three quarters vote for certain players carries carries the weight on whether they get named to their hall of very good. And some of those guys over the years ended up in the pro football hall of fame. Cause I think they've also got these guys, these guys have written a lot of great books too, over the years, the very back page of the coffin corner newsletter, um, has a great book listing of uh, what's out there. And uh, I think that would interest a lot of guys too. Um, it's, if you're in, if you love the history of the game, I I'd recommend joining. Um, and, uh, same thing with Sabre. Uh, if you love the history of baseball, uh, my God, that biographical research, those articles alone, uh, make it worth it. It's, uh, worth the uh, membership. Yeah, the, the depth of some of those articles on on some of the players that you just you, you might not ever even know. Right. Me is just, right. It's just fascinating because you brought it up, is you you know quite a bit about my John Hadle, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was one of my he was John Hadle when I was a kid. I I loved the guy. I mean, I remember I remember when he played at Kansas in college, and then he he he. It's actually a running back in college and uh, became a quarterback. And back in those days, a lot of teams ran the single wing and uh, wing T and all that, where your, your, your quarterback was more a running back and stuff like that than, than, than an actual, you know, T formation or whatever, you know, the formations they ran in those days and you drop back in a pocket and throw the football. And that's what he was. And then uh, to become the prolific passer that he became uh, as a pro, uh, pretty amazing. I remember him, he quarterbacked the college all-star team that played against the Packers. And I think the 63 college all-star game when, when the uh, college all-stars would have an all-star team in August and they'd play at old soldier field um, against the NFL champion team. And in, as a kid, it was normally the Packers. When did he become a, a good passer? <laughs> He started out, he got to the Chargers like in 63 or 62, maybe earlier, 60, maybe two, I think. Um, he was behind, of all things, he was behind Tobin Rote, hmm. um, who was the quarterback when the Chargers won the 63 AFL title game. Uh, 
Sid Gilman was way before his time. They ran a lot of the West Coast offense stuff, and, and they didn't call it that in those days. All those running backs and all the receivers were just dynamite. I mean, Keith Lincoln and Paul Lowe and, and uh, Lance Allworth and uh, Don Norton, and they had a tight end, Dave Kasurik from the University of Wisconsin, and just ran these ran just a, a wide open offense but they also could run the ball right down your throat low and lincoln were terrific running backs and um tobin wrote was the quarterback um he had he had he he was the first quarterback he might be the only quarterback he won an nfl championship and he won an afl championship he quarterbacked the detroit lions bobby lane was injured uh, in the late fifties when they went to the championship game and, and he uh, beat the Cleveland Browns, I believe. Uh, and wrote was a quarterback and had a big day. And then he went to Canada after that and had a, had a pretty good two, three year career in Toronto. And Sid Gilman signed him to the chargers. And um, that's who Hadel, uh that was his mentor. And uh Hey, uh, wrote was a very good. Now he was much older when he was with the Chargers, so he probably wasn't that great a runner because he retired, I think, after the '65 season. But wrote in his prime was not only a very good passer, but a very, very good runner. So hey, that was perfect for Hadel because Hadel was that coming out of college, and then Hadel just turned into like with Sid Gilman being the coach, they ran this high-powered offense, and it just it clicked with Hadel clicked with it. Of course, it probably made life easy having Lance Allworth and, and uh, Don Norton was then later replaced by Gary Garrison, who was another very, very good receiver. And, um, and of course, Dave Kasurik in an era when tight ends were basically a glorified offensive tackle. Kasurik actually had one season where he caught a thousand yards worth of pat worth. He had a thousand yards receiving and then back then it was only a 14 game season, you know, teams, if a quarterback threw for 3000 yards back in that era, it was like throwing for 5,000 today. Yeah. Cause it was still pretty, pretty prominent running. Even, yeah, even for and, teams and every, with a good quarterback, wasn't it? Right. And, and you had things like, I, and I don't know what year it changed, but in the old days, the hash marks were a lot wider apart. So there really was a wide, you know, you'd listen to a ball game or watch a, a football game back in, in the, in the sixties and you'd hear wide side of the field. Well, the hash mark, I don't know how far off the sidelines, the hash marks where I've forgotten over time with the dip, but it was like, there was a distinct short side of the field and wide side. And then later on, they, they put the hash marks, they lined them up with the uprights. So your plays were, most of your plays were dictated to one side of the field. Was the shotgun used much back in 69, 70, 71, 72? Cowboys might have used it. Uh, it was used by the San Francisco 49ers, of all things, in, in like 1960. Oh, wow. That's and they, they used three different quarterbacks. They used... I'm not sure it, it 19 the year might not be right but the quarterbacks I think were Billy Kilmer, John Brody and Bob Waters. And um they started out the season cuz it was one of those deals kind of like 
kind of like the run pass option and, uh, and some of these gimmicky offenses that hit the NFL um, teams never teams didn't have a defense for it. So they started out the season like seven and zero, and were romping and stomping. And then they played the Chicago bears <laughs> and got beat like 49 to nothing. They figured it out, huh? And they, they abandoned it. They abandoned it. And it didn't, the, the shotgun didn't resurface until uh, Landry did it. Really? With, with, with Staubach. Yes. Yep. And if you remember, well, you're, you're a lot young. You're a lot younger than me, probably. Landry had a lot of those. They didn't have a gimmicky offense, but they had a lot of motion. They had a lot of, you know, guys in motion, uh, resetting, you know, the offensive lineman, if you remember, always did like the up down on the snap count. Yeah. Uh, Mer- Meredith and Morton and Staubach would get under center and their first movement would be to like, almost like stand up and then reset and some of that kind of stuff. And they had, they had running backs that, that could were multiple, like Dan Reeves was a guy who could do everything. In fact, he threw that great touchdown pass in the ice bowl against green Bay. Uh, so they did all kinds of stuff like that. And, and yeah, they used the shotgun. Um, but no, it, it was, no, it wasn't. It, everybody used the T formation, everybody, you know, and then, and, and, and it went from being, you had a split end, a flanker and a tight end. You didn't have two wide receivers and uh, that kind of stuff. And the, and the Kansas city chiefs were another team that Hank Stram used multiple sets and did all kinds of uh, motion and his guys could do all kinds of stuff. When you try to run those more modern formations in action PC football, do you think that changes anything? Because I tend to run the game like more modern, and I always wonder, it's like that's not really the – for that era, you, you shouldn't yeah, be doing no. that. What, what, what do you think the you know, downside you, of doing that is? They pretty – you know, I think they, they've got to be – you know, i got, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't know. Uh for some reason when I play um, and if I go to anything greater than two wide receivers, if I go three wide or four wide with the 70 team, I almost always put Namath in a and my name is my quarterback. I almost always put Namath in the shotgun um, and put somebody in motion. Um, but did he really you know, do I that? But did he do that? No. They, I got gotcha. That's I'll, what I was I curious will, about. I will, I will guarantee you. I'd be stunned if Joe Namath ever took a snap other than under center. That's what I was wondering about because and I run Hadel be, in the shotgun as well. That's college and pro. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying college or pro. See, and now you got now with the modern era, you got the flip side of that. How many times have you heard a scouting report, you know, from Mel Kiper or uh, uh, Todd McShay or one of those guys where they talk about a quarterback and they go. Well, he's he's gonna he might have some issues because the team he's that's looking to draft him, they run almost everything from under center, and he's played you know like a guy like uh, Kyler Murray mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Mayfield, Mayfield, and they they that was like one of the first things they ever said about Johnny Manziel. He never how many snap these guys have never taken a snap under center. 
Yeah, that's that's what I. That's what's always curious to me is try to try to remember the era in which you're trying to coach him. Oh, does I'm that matter? Or does that matter even? I don't. I don't know. Chris, and, and I'll tell you what. You can go in there, you know, and and it's this harks this harkens back to what I talked about in our first podcast. Um, I feel the less rules, the more fun, and and I don't mean the wild wild west where anything goes. I mean you can go in there and you can check off certain formations and not allow them to be used. You know, you can't, it'll be darkened out or you can't, you can't go to it. And the same thing I used, I, I used to have guys go, you know, do you, you know, how many, shouldn't we put a limit on trick plays and all that? Well, it's sort of built into the game. I, I think, I think when you try something, a trick play more than twice some message pops up it did it, said, it got me today it said that ain't yeah fooling, it'll, it ain't fooling nobody you're, you're, not, you're fooling nobody yeah <laughs> exactly that's what it said so what i've done or and and guys would forget when you make a bunch of rules and have them in the constitution or whatever you call your rules you find guys don't read them guys i'll tell you i'll tell you one of the biggest bugaboos i find with this game is is the overtime and the reason being in the continental there real there's no overtime because overtime didn't start until i think 1974 um but guys guys have played overtimes because even though the game has in the rules overtime things to check off or not check it doesn't have one that says no overtime they get confused when that window pops up and says something like, do you, do you want to continue with overtime? And they don't know. The, so I try to, on the formation thing and the trick plays or the gadget stuff or overtime, my attitude is, hey, this isn't the end of the world. You know, and if guys want to run shotgun stuff in 1970, go ahead. I have no idea what the impact what if the game has any impact on that or not because in they didn't do it they know, didn't run the they didn't run the rpo back in those days they didn't run the wildcat you know they did end rounds and reverses and the old flea flicker and stuff like that but not not what you and i are talking about well let's let's take the time to switch gears a little bit so yeah i'm a little uh <clears throat> on the rosenblatt i've been a little done a little better as far as building a, a decent team rebuilding one yeah. in the wwba yeah. so so talk talk through it's too late for some for some of us but what what have you seen to be successful techniques in order to build and in the cases we're talking about these are more these are non-retro these are Top contemporary more right. contemporary well, so it's a little once trickier. again you're you're at the mercy of you know is the guy legit you know am i you know uh in the injury bug, especially on the pitching side, um, you know, you can, well, look at, look at just this year alone. I mean, although they're not playing, you've got Severino out for the year. You got Chris sale out for the year. I mean, you, you know, and, and you got to figure the guys invested in getting those guys. And you're thinking, you know, I got the man, I got one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, you know, once again, going back to what I said about the more things you can have that other guys don't have or can't get, you know, you get a, you get a, an Alonzo. There's an example, you know, 52 home runs. No one else has that. You're in I know you have him, your investment in him. You're on board. 
what if he goes next what if he next season wrecks a shoulder or has some kind of injury or or isn't really that good a ball player that's the other thing that can happen i mean yeah, you, you don't know. You know, it's interesting. I ended up getting him on the new rule you put in where you could yeah, have a minor league. league. That, I, yeah. I got lucky as heck on that kind of pick. And he wasn't one of the – I mean, he was like the – he was the Mets' number one prospect, but no one thought – No, he wasn't hey, on the guy, radar, exactly. He's not going to be a guy like a Mike Trout with, you know, some ungodly home run. So you're exactly right. And – See, that's the kind of stuff that can happen. So the team building in baseball, especially when it's contemporary, because the retro would be the same as, as what football, what I talked to you about, acquire all the draft picks you can and, um, you know, try to grab as many guys that you can get that are, 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 are impact guys or special compared with what a lot of your competition has now contemporary over the years. And that's, I've played more contemporary or current season baseball than anything else. And I always try to stockpile as many draft picks as you can. Although guys that are listening, that are listening to this and know me, I'm great at trading away drafts just to get maybe two or three players I really like or want to have on my team. But I've also done the opposite and, and, and had a fistful of draft picks Primarily with the current stuff, you want to get the first round stuff because they've already a lot of them have already had like a, probably an impactful rookie year. There was a, a couple guys a long time ago in the big league, which I ran for almost 30 years. They had a they had a theory and they and they swore by it. Um, neither one won the big league championship, but they came close several times. They felt have a solid offense. You don't don't invest. Don't invest in your offense. Invest in your first three starting pitchers. Have a drop dead closer and a lights out setup guy. And what they really tried to have in their closer and setup guy were big strikeout guys because their attitude was with three great starting pitchers against most teams, most teams don't have three great starting pitchers. Have three great starting pitchers, you're going to have to beat me in the first six bat. Now, you got to remember this is a while ago. It's not like today where a guy goes five innings and then the bullpen parade starts. Their attitude was, you got to beat me in six or seven innings because I'm now as good as my starting pitcher is, I'm bringing in depth to set up and then close. And they'd have these guys that, your guys never, it would be strikeout, 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 or, you know, they, they, now they, they would always fall short for some reason. They got to the world series in the big league, both of them, at least a couple of times, but it never ended up in a championship. I felt that was a good theory, except you really should have some dynamite, some dynamite. You got to have one or two guys in your lineup that you can win the game with one swing late because almost all the good teams have a good closer or setup guy or both. And when I won, I won the big twice and that won it for me both times. It really wasn't my pitching obviously kept me in the game, but I won both world series in the seventh game 
And I won it with guys that I had acquired right before the season. And that was really why I got them was they were a guy that could win the game with one swing. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's the composition of the whole thing is what wins it. You can't have just one, one of those ingredients and win it all. And the same thing with the football, like there's things that you should lean on and put a certain higher value to than other parts to the puzzle. But, you know, at the end of the day, one of the, if you have all of that stuff or the majority of that stuff, one of those things is going to be the difference maker. And getting back to football real quick, I'll tell you what I, what I had as a difference maker in the Odyssey. I won the Odyssey three seasons in a row um, in the sixties. Two of the times, Chris, I won it with a very good teams. What won it for me was I had a kick returner on every one of those teams that could run it back for a touchdown. And I won two of the championships because who I played didn't pay attention to me having a guy that could run a kickback for a touchdown and he kicked off to me. And I, one of the games I won in overtime. Yeah. Cause I don't even think about the kick returner. That's how bad my teams are. Right. That's a good point. Right. That's the same thing as that timely, that timely home run when you need it yes. and you don't expect it. Yeah. That's a good point. And you're going to, you're going to love it in the baseball side of it. Who won me the two. I won the, I won the big back to back in 1999 and 19 in 2000. It was either 98 and 99 or 99 and 2000. You're going to love who one of the guys was. Cause he was at the end of the road. It was like one of his last seasons, but he had hit 30 home runs that year. And I had such a good, t- I had Sosa and McGuire on that team. Wow. This guy batted ninth and he won me. He won the seventh game of the world series four to three with a home run in the eighth. And then I shut the guy down in the ninth with my closer, Ryan Sandberg. Oh, love Ryan. Love Ryan. Me too. I, I got him. I got it. And he wasn't my starting second baseman. I think he, he platooned at DH or he DH for me. I'd have, I got all that stuff out in the garage in a storage bin or something. I could dig it all out for you sometime if you wanted that trip down memory lane, but no, you got to have all those things. And it kind of tying into the football real quick and with the baseball, I used to always say, sometimes you have to give something up of more value to get the piece that might win it for you. And like Sandberg was like 34. He was at the end of the road, but he had, he had, he gave me like a ninth. I had a lineup that was, it was pretty nauseating. It was really good. I, that was, that was fun, that team, but he won it for me. And uh, if I hadn't traded for him and had him in the ninth spot, it might not have been a guy that would have hit a home run in, in the bottom of the eighth, a game seven of the world series for me to give me a four, three lead. And you also probably had the ability to easily acquire that guy with a with a team that strong too. So what I guess it wouldn't have been too hard to give up Sandberg, or he didn't feel too hard to go get Sandberg. It, it didn't hurt you too much. No, uh, I gave, I probably gave up a piece for the future. You know, I, and and that's the other thing. Guys can get greedy, and they want to they want to not only have all the pieces to the puzzle to win it all, but they don't want to give anything up beyond season they want to win and you know sometimes you you gotta 
you got to give something up that's more valuable. And by that, I mean, younger, uh, better future for the older guy who, well, uh, I'll tell you a guy that I was surprised wasn't traded in the Rosenblatt this off season. If I, and Jeff and I talked about this the other day, I said, Jeff, if I thought I had a team that was maybe one or two players away from being a championship team in the Rosenblatt, I would have moved heaven and earth to try to add Nelson Cruz to my lineup. I had because him. I, I, I'm the guy that had a re- that I couldn't protect him. Yeah, he was my and, guy. And was it okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that because he's a guy. Think about it. He's forty. What forty one years old? Uh, if I if you went to the guy who had him and said, "Hey, I'll give you a first round pick for him," if 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 he's on a team right now, and I don't know who has him, but if he's on a team right now in the Rosenblatt that that team doesn't have any chance to win, but a first round pick could add a very good piece next season and beyond. I'd trade Nelson Cruz in a heartbeat. And that's the kind of, I'm sorry. I had Encarcion. I I looked at him and Cruz kind of the same way. Cruz is better, but yeah, I, I like players like that to your point. And that's, and that's the thing. I mean, and those are the kind of moves that I'm talking about that, you, that, that sometimes you have to make. And a lot of guys won't make them. I'm not giving up a first round pick for so-and-so. Well, then you're probably when you get in the playoffs and world series and you're playing all the better teams, because teams guys can get a false sense, false sense of how strong their team is and security by romping and stomping in the regular season. And once again, it depends. Okay. What was your competition that you won 110 games? Yeah. Now you get in the playoffs and world Series, and, and even, and if you're lucky, eventually the world series, well, you're playing another really good team. And now all of a sudden you're guys that are romping and stomping your fight, you're clawing for runs. And, or your pitchers that maybe aren't lights out, but against the weaker teams were very good. Now they're struggling to give you three, four, five good innings. It's, it's just, you know, it's just all fun. I mean, and it's, it's to me, action PC games in particular, you really, you really have to build a team like real life because there's no way to really take advantage of the game. Like some of these other games that are out there where you're playing, you know, I, I've heard guys say, oh, I'm playing strat ball. You know, because I don't know anything about Stratomatic, but my my feelings when I hear that is, well, OK, what are you doing to take advantage of the game design? Versus and, action, and that, there's no way. And action. that would be We're, no fun at all if that no, like if there was a weakness in the simulation like that, that'd be very frustrating. It would be. It would be like if you knew a certain play was always successful. Uh, in, in, in kind of switching gears back to football, but if you knew there was a certain play or a certain defensive formation or a certain whatever in the game design that you knew was always going to work, or you could take advantage of the other guy if he calls it, you think about it. When you play the football game or when you play the baseball game, you're making all re- you really are making real life. So you're on the sidelines, coach, or in the dugout coaching or managing your team now we're at the mercy of the random number generator or whatever determines what the play outcomes are because it you know what we talked about back in the first podcast i mean the game was never a, a board game with you know charts and dice and cards so we don't know what the number 
the ran- how big the random number thing is if it's even driven by that. I don't know enough about game design like you do and writing code and all that stuff, but the the randomness of the stuff that happens in action PC, I mean, it's to me so much better than what other games offer. Well, to your point, I was I was game seven, winning game seven last year, two home runs in a row off lights out closer and that was the end of my season. <laughs> <laughs> throw throw away throw away my recipe for building a baseball championship baseball team. Yeah, pretty much t- took me under. Hey, can I ask you something about kind yeah. of modern baseball? Because yeah, uh, why do you think? I, I I have a theory, but mine's not very well thought through. Is why is why is there now the new rush to? pull the starter do you think we're really protecting starters arms by doing that and give me four or five innings as hard as you can throw it before your arm falls off and we'll parade these other people in I don't and I guess I grew up with hey if I put a starter out there I'm really I need six or seven out of you that's that's what you yeah. paid the big bucks for what, what right. do you think's changed or is that gonna go away or is that here forever thrower throw throw throwers versus pitchers yeah exactly good point i mean when you when you look at when you look at the guys uh you know and you can and you can watch this stuff on youtube which is kind of great and once again you know um the nice thing about and not the nice thing but the the night yeah the nice thing about youtube and 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 that uh with this coronavirus house arrest um you know, you can call up older games. I know Jeff Stainfield has watched some older stuff, like the 74 Oakland A's World Series, uh, I believe with the Dodgers um, and stuff like that. Um, Great baseball year. Yeah, you, you see those guys and, and the pitchers, how they pit, like a Catfish Hunter, uh, Warren Spawn, those guys. Nowadays, these guys, it's how hard can you throw? So you're not – and there's got to be a core plus they start when they're so young now too and they play year round and it's that's got to be there's there's a correlation between all that those two things starting when you're young it's the only sport you play you throw year round you throw full tilt year round well something's got to give so what do you hear the most of shoulder tommy john shoulder or tommy john and you had some back in the old days, but those guys could pitch. I mean, my God. and and I'll tell you two. I'll tell. I'm going to tell you two guys recently, and they were pitchers. They weren't throwers. You don't have to throw a hundred, and that's Maddox and Glavin. Yeah, I love both those guys. Yeah, yeah great. They pitching. pitched. They pitched. They hit the spots. They could pitch till next week. They could start today and go till next Saturday. Yeah, never missed a start. You could count no. on them, pencil them in. Yeah. No. Smoltz, Smoltz was the hard thrower in that trio. It's hard to believe they had three Hall of Fame pitchers, man. I mean, that that says all you need to know about the Atlanta Braves in the 90s. And, you know, Smoltz, he was the hard thrower. And what did he end up with? He ended up having uh, either shoulder or Tommy John surgery. And what was so great about him was it was a split finger, I think, that did him in, uh, or maybe I, I think it did. I'm not sure, but he, he, he then was he, not only was he a great starting pitcher, but then for like five seasons when the Braves needed a closer, he was the best closer in baseball. And he, he's a big advocate of, 
uh, he's totally against this youth baseball playing year round because Smoltz was also beyond besides being a great uh, baseball player. He was a great, he claims he never lost a one-on-one basketball game in the, when he was with the Atlanta Braves who had Kenny Lofton who played at Arizona in college on one of uh, uh, a great bas- college basketball player. Smoltz said, you got to go out and play everything and use all your muscle, your whole muscle system. Yeah, he's a hell of a and golfer too. Great. Go- Scratch uh, made the U.S. Uh, uh, um, senior open, qualified it for it. He's an unbelievable um, golfer. Fan- fantastic golfer. Uh, claims claims he's and, – and if you played him and beat him in 18, you weren't going home because he said, we're playing another eight. I'm not going home till I beat you. <laughs> he's one of those guys. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> but he's he's dead he's dead set against this uh, playing one sport year-round. And he said it, it just, it's too, it's too detrimental to that muscle system that you're just using over and over and over and over. And, uh, I agree. Cause Chris Bryant, they're not pitchers. Chris Bryant and, uh, Bryce Harper were, yep. they played together since they were 12 through the traveling yep. teams and ever, and, and they're both, yep. they both tend to get injured is my point, but yep. that's got to take a hell of a wear and tear on, you know, these young kids arms over time. Yeah. So I guess yeah. that 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 whole thing has kind of shifted shifted pitching, which is is kind of sad to your point. I like the multi-sport I, idea. I think it's good not only for your body but for your mind and right. everything. So and you know you know Chris, I, I I I it sounds kind of simplistic, but what you were asking me to start this about throwing hard versus you know what's going on with you know the guys in the old days that could give you you know. Uh, nine innings you, you you hoped for nine you you figured you were going to at least get seven um and then some of those guys when you went out to the mound to get them you were going to have to wrestle them for the baseball guys like bob gibson and warren spawn and you know they weren't going to give the baseball up uh versus today it's like anything else you do something full tilt something's gonna break yeah that's 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 I don't think that's going to change either. Uh, so that's that's, no. that's a question. Hey, let me ask. No, and you, I think that. Go ahead. No, go go go. go. Finish your thought there. I, I think I think on the flip side, you know, everybody's throwing around, you know, around a hundred or let's say ninety five plus, ninety six plus. The hitters now have kind of caught up to that. So now their attitude is, you know, if I can barrel it, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a home run. Guy, guys throwing 98, it's going out 140. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. It seems to me the guys that throw hard and can change speeds are are the ones that are most – if you're just going to go up there and heave it, I, I don't – Right. It, it seems to me if you're going to throw that hard, if you had two other pitches, that's going right. to be the key to success. But your arm's still going to probably fall off, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and the thing is – Okay, the 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 labrum and the the ulnar, the, the Tommy John and the shoulder injuries get all the pub. But think of the think of the pitchers that have the you know back situation. You know they got a, their back is shaky. Uh, they've got hamstring and quad issues, um, um, rib cage pull. You know all that kind of stuff. I mean. That's all from, and and here's what's crazy, 
these guys are in the greatest shape of any athletes that ever played anything. Better trained, in, in, better, in better medical. Every, okay. Oh my God. They the have diet, the best, the yeah, diet, everything. The, you know, and now take a look at, uh, take a look at Mickey Lolich. I mean, a, a 12 pack, a 12 pack and, a, and about three packs of Chesterfields. And then he goes out and he wins three world series games. I forgot about him. He's, he's awesome. I mean, you know, I mean, cause he could pitch, he you know, nice. I mean, he wasn't just rearing back and throwing at 95 and Hey, Hey, catch up to this. Well, you know, Sooner or later, they're going to. The really good hitters are going to. And, I mean, you got guys now hitting. And I know the ball The ball was juiced. We know that. But still, it was ridiculous last year, some of the home runs. I mean, 30 home runs was nothing last year. I know. It. <laughs> I mean, well, let me – let's – we're kind of coming up on our hour. Okay. I, I want to okay. ask you a deep-rooted question to leave with that kind of helps me from a statistic house standpoint. Okay. Is there – what would you think about the possibility of being a professional simulation player? So if there was a platform, if there was a league, kind of like eSports, but more yeah. towards our hobby, mm -hmm. to compete financially in this hobby, what's your, what would be your thoughts or thinking about that? For guys that are like, that are really into it, and yeah, you would have to put a little bit of money into it. Is there, is that at all interesting to somebody like you? At this point in time in my life, probably not. Step back but ten years. If even then, I think if I think if I was a if I was just introduced to this game and I really liked it, and we lived in a world where we can all be connected. Yes, I think I would be interested in something like that. Um, you got to remember when we, when when you and I all, when almost everybody that probably is going to listen to this podcast started out, our world, our 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 sports simulation game world wasn't connected like it is today. Our connection was putting a stamp on an envelope and mailing it and getting the game. And right. uh, some guys actually did have the foresight to do newsletters and stuff like that for the game company, but. Boy, that was so that was Stone Age when you look at it now. Uh, yes, I would be. Uh, I don't know what that would look like, though. Um, I and I'm, I'm only I, I have my familiarity with what EA Sports has done. And I know guys make that they're like superstars in that world. Right. Am I right or wrong? I've, they I've are. Seen, they, I, they, they, they are. And it's it's the video game era where in this thing, I think. You, you don't have to have great fingers and thumbs in order right. to compete in what I'm talking about. You would right. have to be an expert on the things we started the podcast in. You would have to be a hell of a researcher, hell of a team yes. builder. And the yes. platform you were built on needs to be have high integrity because yes. you, you, would, you, you can't have any misgivings on no, that. No. You would have to trust the platform. Right. right. There's a guy in the TML that I think was way ahead of his time, and he did all kinds of replays uh his name is rocky hall uh jim Pratera could tell you more about rocky although i do know rocky but rocky was a guy that he won the tml like an extraordinary amount of times i'm not sure 10 12 times he was the champion wow uh when when if a guy wins it two or three times that's that's extraordinary 
because uh, those guys all know the game like we do. And um, but Rocky was a guy that he went at it very similar to how you what we talked about earlier when you had to study the cards and the chances of this number coming up and that number coming up. And uh, this guy, what, what can this guy do for me against this kind of pitching? And what can this pitcher do for me when I'm playing so-and-so possibly in the playoffs, he put together all that kind of stuff before I think you even had Excel spreadsheets and all this other crap that you can, and you know, you could load the, league database and run 10 seasons and see how everything shook out. Cause I know you did it in the Rosenblatt cause you wrote me and said that you and I in your replays were the two, it was between you and me for the division based on your replaying of it. And uh, those are the kind of things that um, you would have to do. If you, if you went professional, you'd be actually scouting, <laughs> scouting your own team and scouting the opposition and scouting for new talent. Oh, yeah. And you're right. You, you, you'd you have to have a platform where the integrity was unquestioned. Right. You, you, um, yeah, because you'd be competing with, with your own money and you'd, you'd be trying right. to win and you'd have to trust the platform. But it it's and it would be a little bit niche, but the people that are already in the hobby are 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 niche and you could still have fun with it. But maybe once a week you'd want to go compete and see. how. Good well, and are. it's it's a hey, Chris, you and I both know this. It's amazing how many people will get interested in something too if there's money attached to it. <laughs> yeah, your your attention, you, you, it, it tends of, to get right. your attention a little more sometimes. Right. All of a sudden, if you had something like that with this hobby, um, and gaming, we might be surprised at how many new people would get involved. Now, a long time ago, this is something we didn't talk about on the first podcast when I took the trip down memory lane starting in like the early 60s. APA had a convention every year where they had a tournament. But in those days, it was you came in with whatever team you put together and you rolled the dice and played guys from all over the United States. They, they were in Philadelphia, actually, was where they held their convention. And I don't know how many they held. And because uh, I stepped away, obviously, from the Apple world as that podcast, as I told you in the podcast. But then I believe Replay Games did the same thing. I think John Brodak did the same thing and had a couple conventions. And I, I, George Mallory, for some reason, of all people, I think George Mallory won one of those championships at one of the conventions. For money? No, just, just for the just for the hell of it. Saying, huh? hey, oh, I, won wow. the, I won the I won the I won the nineteen eighty four replay games convention world series and really? you're up against guys from all over the country. Oh wow. That got That's in the tournament. Neat. We'll have to verify that. That's awesome. I know it. I know it. <laughs> it doesn't sound but right. <laughs> APA for years, APA APA had a convention every year in Philly for many for several years, if my memory's correct. And and they had just what you said. Now Obviously, if you made it a, a an actual uh, a league like EA does, didn't the guy who was their top player didn't he just die recently or get killed in something? Or I didn't, did, I didn't know I, about that. I thought one of the guys, maybe not, maybe not the top EA Sports video guy or or video game um, money maker, but one of their top people. I thought I saw a thing on the news, but anyway, 
It'd be interesting. I mean, yes, if it was 30 years ago, 40, I, I, I would, I'd definitely be all in. Now it's all I can do to research for the players <laughs> on the teams in the leagues that I run. And even that there's seasons that the draft comes up and I'm on the phone to Jeff Stainfield, who does a pretty thorough research of all the players. And I'll say, Jeff, I just traded for four draft picks. I didn't have any coming into the draft. Could you just help me out? And I won't draft anybody you're interested in unless it's, you know, a, a big, a, an obvious pick at that position. But yeah, no, I, I'd be all in if we had a anything like what EA Sports or EA Games does. Well, that's well, that's great. Well, this was a this was another fun one, Brandon. I appreciate you doing this on April fourth, sunny Saturday morning in Bowling Green. And uh, I'm glad to hear that. And uh, hope everybody stays safe in these crazy yes. times. And maybe another couple of weeks uh, staying home, we can get back to normal. At least I hope so. I hope so, Chris. I mean, uh, you know, there's only so much Netflix and Amazon Prime Video stuff you can watch. You know, all that stuff is great. I, I found I find all that stuff great to watch and everything when you're when your life is normal and you got an evening where there isn't anything on TV and you say, oh, let me check out this or watch that or oh, that's right, I started watching that series. But to make that what you know you look forward to every day. No, don't cut it. It doesn't cut it. Not no. when you know, you like doing, you know, you, you, you have other things that are more important and, and much more, uh, keep you active, the yeah. active side of it. Yeah. I'm lucky. I got the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. I got the Bowling Green Hot Rods. I got the Cubs yeah. on MLB TV and yeah, I miss, yeah. I miss all of it, but hopefully we get through this on the other end. And if, uh, if we get to talking again next week, we might be on the, might be on the phone again next Saturday. <laughs> you know, I got plenty to say. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, take care and uh, thank you, Chris. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks again for doing this, Brandon. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. I always enjoy it. Take care, buddy. Bye bye.